Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow together with other mothers when autumn comes. In full confession, this episode was recorded, oh gosh, like in March or April or spring. It was recorded in the springtime. And I just edited the whole thing. And I'm sitting here in tears because at the end I say, this is Susan. And I have to go because Lorelai's kicking me. And I got all the feels, guys. All the feels. This episode made me think a lot about the journey that I have had. Today, you are going to meet Georgette, who is seriously like the happiest medical mom you will ever meet. Like, I just want to hug her. And she sends me all these super kind messages. And she is just like a ray of sunshine, guys. That being said, this episode is being aired in September because it is NICU Awareness Month. And Georgette did a little under a month in the NICU with her son, Benjamin. The NICU, of course, is a place that I hold near and dear. It is a place that I never, ever expected to be. It is a place that I actually remember being at the hospital tour and walking past the NICU and thinking, I I don't need to pay attention to this part. I'm not going to go to the NICU. (laughs) Twice. (laughs) Twice, guys. The NICU is a place that that is very, very special. It is a place that saves babies. It is a place that some people walk out of without their babies. It is a place with ups and downs. It is a place where a lot of tears are shed. It is a place of unexpected twists and turns. It is a place of storms and heartache and love. So much love. It is a place that I am proud of having as part of my journey as a medical mom. It is a place that Georgette and I share in common, even though we weren't in the same NICU. There's a bond that NICU mamas and dads, I imagine, probably more so moms, there's a bond that we have. And if you've been to the NICU, whether it was for three days or 300 days, you just, you just know, you just know the importance of this place. And today you're going to meet Georgette 
Her son's name is Benjamin. I mean, we have a lot in common, NICUs and Benjamins, and I'm really excited for you to meet her. There were some technical difficulties with the volume, so I hope you can hear her. We are here to talk all things NICU and give support and love to the mamas who are in the NICU right now. Welcome, Georgette. Hey, everybody. We are back. Today, we are talking with Georgette. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. I'm so glad I got to be here. We, yeah. We've talked to a couple people. Um, your, your son has a rare disease that has actually shown up on our podcast before. It's rare, and your community has embraced our podcast, so we, we brought another one of you back. <laughs> I know. I know, you know, and it's funny because I think Susan and I were talking before and I mentioned like for having a, if our son had to have a rare disease, like I'm really happy he has this rare disease because apparently the parents who also have kids with this rare disease have mobilized and connected. (laughs) Yeah. It's great. Community is everything. It is. So tell us a little bit about your family. Like who, who, what brings you here? Well, what brings me here is my oldest son, Benjamin. Um, I, my husband, Ben, and I have two beautiful boys. And Benjamin is our oldest. Bane, like Batman, is our second uh, child. And they're 18 months apart, so we have two beautiful boys. But Benjamin had what I like to call like a grand entrance into this world. And, uh, you know, and we spent some time in the NICU. And so, you know, we'll talk about that even a little more. But Benjamin is our warrior prince, as I call him. I wrote a book about it, uh, our NICU journey in the first year of his life. He's three years old. He'll be turning four at the end of September. So I can't believe that all of this has happened almost four years ago, um, because it really feels like yesterday, but that's why I'm here. So Benjamin, with his grand entrance, has grandly opened up this whole new world that we never thought we would ever be in. Yeah. I think all of us can feel exactly, like, you sit here some days and you're like, how did we get here? Right. This wasn't what was planned. It's not what we had written down, but here we are. No. But here we are. (laughs) So you are in Florida. Are the boys into like outdoors? Like are they, is it your thing to like do chase alligators? Like what do you do in Florida? (laughs) We we live in the Everglades. (laughs) 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 Total different type of wilderness people. Now, um, yeah, we, we spend a lot of time outside. Actually, my husband's from Connecticut um, and we met in college down in Miami um, over 15 years ago. And uh, <laughs> you can't see, but her face is like this. Ah! <laughs> what happened? Yeah. So, uh, so we met in college 15 years ago. And he moved down from Connecticut because for the weather down here in South Florida. And so, I mean, that just, I've, I'm a native Floridian. And so, I mean, yeah, we love being outside. We love playing outside. The more time outside, the better. And luckily, both boys also love playing outside and doing all the things outside. Awesome. And, you know, lizards are 
just a normal thing in down here. Do you have any in the home? Do you have any reptiles in your home? Uh, or are they all outside? Not pets. Like okay. sometimes wild ones will come in. Yeah, but no, Ooh. no pets. Mm. I'll yeah. take the mosquitoes and fly. <laughs> mm. You're like, what? <laughs> I know. There is an alligator that lives in the lake that's near our house. Um, so, you know, Diane's you always have to be face. careful of that. I know. that, But see, to me, like as a Floridian, all of these things are normal. Oh, of course. Like, of course they are. Yeah. And so like even, you know, my husband and I, is, who's like I mentioned, he's from the Northeast. I was like, your your boys are going to be like Florida boys. Like, are you ready for this? Do you know what that? I don't even know entirely what that means. Like, but <laughs> you know, rassle a that's gator. what they're going to be. <laughs> exactly. Pretty much. Like, you know, so we'll see. So let's let's get into um, <laughs> when Benjamin was born. Yeah. He was not born at the mouth of an alligator. <laughs> no, he um, wasn't. So no. was your pregnancy typical? Did you have? Did you? Yeah. What, how did this start? Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about the the grand entrance as I call it because I feel like I mean it sounds more theatrical that way because it really was very theatrical, but not in like a positive way. <laughs> Um, the pregnancy was normal. I went into labor, um, naturally full term, uh, 38 weeks and four days. Bane was born 38 weeks and five days. My husband says I cook them fast. So they come out, you know, right <laughs> on time. And, um, and so I went into labor naturally. Everything seemed fine. You know, I did all my prenatal checks. We even actually did genetic testing, but like light genetic testing mm-hmm. just on the structure, just so I could find out the gender early. Cause who would have thought to, like we had no pre-existing notion to check anything else. Um, then when I went into labor, they saw me coding in the water cause they broke my water. Um, and they're like, Oh, okay. So we'll deal with that. You know, that's pretty common. A lot of women have mucodium in the water. Um, but then when he came out, it was a natural delivery. He came out and he had mucotium aspiration and they thought they had sucked it all out, but they didn't. And then it just went deeper and things went south really quick. He went into respiratory rest for 13 minutes. Thankfully he was born at the change of shift in the evening afternoon time. And they wheeled me up I can't believe I'm like getting choked up thinking about it. I, I wrote a book about it. like, I'm going to try and get through this. That's they okay. wheeled me up um, to potentially, to potentially say, say goodbye to him because it just, it wasn't looking good. And I know like you've had so many people on, on this podcast who have had to go through that. So I think I was even telling Susan, I was like, my son's here, you know, I, it, it's almost so, so, we are so thankful for that. So Benjamin was under respiratory rest for 13 minutes. Uh, his lungs had collapsed and they, but then they were able to intubate him. They asked me, you know, it's been 13 minutes. Like, what do you want us to do? Um, so they kept trying because we said, you know, keep trying. And, um, and they were able to intubate him. They were able to put chest tubes in. And then he was taken to a higher level NICU because they wanted to put him in a cooling cap for three days. And thus 
begins our I mean into this world. This was your first child yeah. and your first experience like this. And yeah. I had a similar entrance into motherhood and it's like a bomb hits you. And you know, there's expectations prior to having a child of you know, I'm I've got my maternity gown and people like I'm gonna get matching pictures with my baby and and meanwhile people are using words that you don't understand, things are happening that aren't supposed to happen. Like how did you feel in that moment? So that's a, and that's a that's a really good question and yeah and I can totally oh my gosh it resonates so much so can I tell you and in the book I detail it a little more and people can get maybe a little bit more of a feel of how what a planner I am I literally had matching outfits for me my husband and my son for the first three days of his life like we didn't obviously get to do that until later but I was like and then a lot of our friends too were having babies around the same time and. There are actually two of my close friends have, we have boys, also have boys, their first sons. And Ben was the last one to be born. So you can imagine like, there was like, okay, like Mm. this one was born, this one was born. Now it's Ben's turn and it was like, Um, so yeah, surprisingly enough though, I have to say in the moment, I felt very calm. I really, and I don't, I don't want to say it was a, like I was numb because I felt a lot, but I felt peace with it. The question when you said, when they asked you, what do you want us to do? That like stopped me in my tracks because (laughs) I can only imagine like, I didn't even, I wouldn't have even known how to answer that if the nurses would have said, well, do you want me to change them or no? I don't know. I'm just a new mom. I don't, you know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. But then the the gravity, yeah, the gravity of, do you want us to keep going or do you not? I mean, I can only imagine that almost every person in the moment would say, well, keep going. But you also have the flip side of what are the ramifications if we keep going? And quality right. of life. Like you don't right. have a doula there to digest that. Or no. I, I would assume you don't have somebody there to, at the foot of your bed to say, okay, let's talk through this or the time for that. Yeah. <laughs> no. And it's instant. I mean, like this is like every second counts, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. every minute counts. Um, can I honestly, I mean, I... I think when they, and it was, it was fine because so then here, like the nurses that were taking me up were so sweet and I'm close friends with some of those nurses still to this day. And I hope some of them are listening because they are absolutely amazing. But I felt, um, I just, it was like a, it was a no brainer. Keep going. And I, and when I was, when we were processing this, my husband and I as a couple, he had a different experience. He immediately went to that grieving place and he immediately went to, oh my God. <laughs> We're going to lose our son. But I didn't. And I think in a way, 
you know, that's why God put us together, my husband and I together. Um, our parents were there. My mother-in-law was there. My father and my mom were there. Um, but I just, I, I took a breath when she said that. And I had a moment where I thought, like, what am I dreaming? Is this real? This is real. This is life right now. This is part of the story. And, and, and then I told her to keep going. And I just, I just, I don't know. I, I just felt peace with it. I can't. And I think in part it's because my husband and I, for some reason, the night that I went into labor, I felt really on edge. Um, you know, and we'll even touch on that later, but faith is a really big thing in our family. And it's a really strong, I'm a very spiritual person. And my husband and I were having a conversation that night that I went into labor. And I said, Ben, I just, you know, I feel like we just got to pray for our son. It's like something, like something's not right. Something's not sitting right. We just got to pray for our son. So in that moment, when they asked me that, I was like, oh, it was like a moment of clarity. Like, oh, this is, this is, this is it. Okay. Like, <sighs> um, I need to pray for my son. Like whatever. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and this is it. And here we go. Like, welcome so, to motherhood. Welcome to motherhood. Well, I'm like, thank and you, then, God, for that glimpse, right? I mean, yeah, I have a very active prayer life. And um, I think that, you know, and even being a mindful individual, that self care to pause and breathe when you get that hard thing and be like, oh, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm hmm. So then he was whisked away to the NICU. Yep. And how long did you spend in the NICU? We spent 28 days. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, Susan and I had spoken and I was like, it's only 28 days, like only 28 days. I have air quotes only. It doesn't matter if it was one day or yeah. 500 days. Like everybody's yeah. NICU journey is hard. No one goes to the NICU for quality R and R, and like, I mean, no one, no one goes to the NICU for like, I just want more time in the hospital with my baby. (laughs) So, this your episode is going to be airing during um, NICU Awareness Month, and we are going to be pushing like the whole idea, like we have different NICU journeys, but they're all hard. Whether you're there Mm -hmm. for five minutes or five months. So in your NICU stay, being a Floridian, I always associated my NICU stay to a hurricane. And I'm sure you can kind of relate because it just comes out of nowhere and it has tornadoes that can pop up inside of it. And there's winds. And then there are quiet moments in the eye. Yes. Oh my God. I love that you made that analogy because I think that's so perfect. And being a Floridian, I mean, I can relate because I've lived through so many hurricanes. And actually, in 2017, when Benjamin was born, we had just gone through Irma, mm. had gone through through our, you know, when, and I was pregnant. I was pregnant with Benjamin. And I wrote him a letter during that storm 
about how to handle storms in his life because he was going to face storms, whether they were going to be physical or emotional or spiritual. And so I took that quiet, no kid moments. Anybody who has no children who's listening to this, you have so much time. Please do, <laughs> do, <it> stuff. <laughs> do, do stuff. Do stuff. Yeah, I don't right? care what Anything. you do. Right. Do it for do me. Anything. Do stuff <laughs> and sleep. Do exactly. Stuff and sleep. Oh my gosh. Yes, please. Because you're never going to get that time back. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. So I wrote him a letter and, and then I actually, I think I put part of it in the book too. Um, because I was like, oh, well, that was pretty timely because he went through a storm right away. And yeah, yeah, the NICU. It's a very, um, it's a very unique place. And I think it's a really transformative place. Um, what kind of struggles did you have in the NICU? Um, medically, when we spoke yesterday, you said that you, you didn't know anything was wrong or that he had a medical condition in the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we didn't know. So yes, exactly. So in it, but now I see like there were flags that we probably should have looked into. So we landed in the NICU and we were the only case of a cooling cap. I don't know if in your NICUs they had like a giant board that showed like cases of special interventions and how many each month. Mm -hmm. That's a thing in the NICU that we were in. And I remember staring at that board so often and they had nobody in the cooling cap, nobody in the cooling cap until September, October. And that was my son. And, um, And so we just thought when we were in the NICU, okay, so he had this lack of oxygen for this time. We're going, we're doing the cooling cap therapy and then we're, it's just going to be like a wait and see. How is this going to manifest? How is this going to affect the rest of his life? If at all, because some like, it's a wide range of possibilities. It's like he could have very low quality of life or he could have a very high, um, quality of life so but then um you know they're like oh he has a a, a atrial septal defect which also can be very common in any other child okay well we you know we wouldn't have noticed this otherwise okay then you know just different other things that they noticed about him different little characteristics that and at any point were you like no something is not right Okay. No, yeah, no. And actually, even so, our geneticist had asked us, like, did you have a normal period? And I was like, yeah, our quote unquote normal period was his first year. And thankfully, like, that's what I wrote the book about. <laughs> because then, like, I mean, so after the first year, we started to uncover a lot of other things that I was like, oh, this isn't right. Oh, this isn't right. Oh, this isn't, well, let's check into this. Let's check into that. Why is this still happening? Like, what, like, what's going on? So, um, so it was excellent timing to actually get that book done within the first year. Um, but no, in the NICU, it was all what getting him off of a ventilator, getting him to breathe independently, hoping he would be able to breathe independently, getting him to feed independently, which, you know, he did all of these things to get us home. Mm-hmm. That was the goal. And thankfully, you know, we were able to do that in the time that we did that. Thankfully, he is breathing independently, hooray, and, you know, able to take liquids and things through his mouth and, and do a lot of things that I know that a lot of our special kids work very hard to do. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, from, from day one, he's, he's been, um, we've been dropped into this like unknown. So it's like, okay, we can't really tell you. So then it was almost like, even when we got the genetic diagnosis, it was like, oh, well, like that's an answer. So what, what led to getting a diagnosis? Um, and how old was he when you got the diagnosis? He was three. So we just got it a few months ago. Okay. Actually. But we started the, I started really questioning, um, the neurologist, like, really, is this all related? Was he not hitting milestones? Yeah, like you he, said, you had a normal, quote unquote, yeah, normal had, year. Yep. We had a quote unquote normal first year where it was, okay, he's gross motor delayed. He's gross motor delayed, but everything else was like, he was looking at us, you know, the eye contact, whatever. If, if it was my second child, I would have known, okay, he's like, there are more delays coming, but it was my first. I don't, I don't know anything. So you know, the delays started to get wider gaps as he got older. And while those things were consistent with the birth event, I knew other kids who had gone through similar birth events and didn't show those same delays. And so I kept pushing the neurologist like, no, I mean, we checked his hormones. We che- we li- we checked bone age. We checked everything because for a little bit, because he started to also have feeding difficulties when we started to introduce solids. So then I was like, okay, like the feeding is a little more complicated than we thought. What's So then when we started to unpack this box a little bit, then my neurologist said, you know, why don't we just get genetic testing to rule stuff out? Did you feel like they were listening to you? Yeah. Which and I'm did, very thankful for. Did you feel relieved probably. when they said, let's look into it more? Or was there like a wait? Nope. Nope, no pause because I said I because I was very much of the mindset of let's do our due diligence. Mm-hmm. You know, we had already we are we went to go and see an eye doctor shortly after he started walking, which he didn't start walking until he was like two. So that was, you know, delayed. Um and then I was like, okay, other things should pick up quicker, but then they weren't picking up as quickly as they should have. So then I was like, okay, no, there's something else. And you know, not sometimes you have to be careful because sometimes you go looking for answers and then they'll just give you something and like, and it's not necessarily something, but you know, something just wasn't sitting right. So when they said, let's try a genetic test, the endocrinologist had brought that up. Benjamin had a failure to thrive diagnosis, which resolved because we were able to increase his caloric intake. But then it was like, well, so when we checked the hormones, hormones checked out, checked the bone age, his height and everything was consistent with the delayed bone age. So the hormones were like the genetics was really like the last thing because mm-hmm. I was getting frustrated. Like what, what else? If everything else is checking out normal, there's something not normal. Like mm-hmm. not so this normal. Is in a two and a half year span, you go to yeah. genetics, they do the testing on yeah. all three of you or just your son. On all three of us. On okay. all three. So for, but obviously but Benjamin is the highlight. So, you know, when you do genetic testing, it's the the youngest ones, the highlight. And then my husband and I were just to compare. Yeah. Yep. And what? And it was unique. It was a unique variation to Benjamin. Nothing that we carried. Okay. Just. And what dis, what disorder does he have? He has Coffin-Cyrus syndrome. And when they told you that, did you go, huh? Like, yeah, no. I need to Google. 
No. Well, actually, <laughs> I had, because I am a ridiculous planner and maybe I am too much of a researcher, I researched what are potential outcomes of a genetic test. Hmm. And so... I'm and that surprised. was one that came on your yeah. radar prior? Wow. Yeah. And surprisingly enough, cough and Cyrus syndrome popped up. But cough and Cyrus syndrome associated with genetic variations is a relatively new diagnosis, like only eight years old like, from mm-hmm. the time of this recording, like that they associated with generic genetic variations because it was only associated with like skeletal anomalies and other like physical features. So it wouldn't have been picked up had this been, mm-hmm. you know, even 10 years ago. But, um, so he has CSS. I can't believe you had that on your radar. Like, look at yeah. you. you. You're like a detective. Insane. Like, so insane. And then I was reading about it and then I was like, oh, but he doesn't have that. Oh, but he does have really nice eyelashes. Oh, <laughs> and he does have, like, you know, so, and I was like, well, he does have short stature and all of these other symptoms that are not paired with the skeletal anomalies are consistent they fit my benjamin you're the first one we've talked to that was like yeah okay like <laughs> yeah but then it's, it w- it's a very different perspective like <laughs> i i'm intrigued right now like everybody else is like people say a word and they're like huh and you're like oh, okay yeah that came up on my radar prior to that yeah yeah but then but uh, no i still had that like what <laughs> like during headlights moment and then like so silly working mom me just thought I could figure everything out, like, and schedule everything into my day. And I had literally, like, client meetings and things, like, after I spoke to the neurologist, because I literally thought we were just doing our due diligence. I was not expecting anything. Mm-hmm. And then when he, when the, our neurologist gave us the diagnosis, I was like, what? What? Oh. And I was like, I was like, wait. I was like, oh, and then he was like, well, but it's ARID1B related. I was like, so then it's not this. So then what? And so then we were literally like Googling this together, mm-hmm. like figuring this out together. And I was like, all right, well. So the secret's out. They tell us not to Google, but they Google. Oh, they do it too. I mean, maybe, maybe it's because like I work in the like allied healthcare field and my husband is in the healthcare field. I have a lot of respect for people in the medical profession, but they are also human too. Like this is a, this is a practice. Like, and sometimes, you know, you just don't know what you're going to get. And, and even how humbling, and I truly appreciate even the, the neonatologist doctors that were in the NICU that would be very transparent and very upfront and say, and not commit to giving me any answers, no matter how hard I press. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things you had written um, into us, you mentioned being a medical consumer. And that may be a term because you're in the industry, but I had never thought of things like that before. What did you mean by medical consumer? Yeah. Yeah. And so I put that in um, because I think that being a smart medical consumer, especially in our society right now and the way that our medical structure is set up is so important. Um, so, you know, we're a consumer of so many goods and services and medical services are not so different. Unfortunately, sometimes we can look at them differently just because it is a human service. And so we just think, oh, you know, we use our insurance almost like we use car insurance only if we get sick or 
stuff like that, but we shouldn't. We should use it for preventive care. We should use it to be smart to maximize the benefits that we pay for. We should be smart to, um, you know, even shop around to different professionals and see, you know, depending on the insurance you have, go to one or the other or, you know, or even just time your visits well to, to make sure that you're getting the most for, for what you are paying for. And then also getting the most for the knowledge that is presented and available. And that's something that I don't feel like I ever had as an option in the NICU. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like in the NICU, you get what you get. You don't know their language. You get whatever doctors are working, whatever residents are on. Um, And I feel like that was one of the tough parts of the NICU stay. Absolutely. And you're overwhelmed in the moment to not even like push back. Mm -hmm. And that was something, I mean, I can't say that I was even necessarily like the most astute, albeit like while we were in there, I think I started to come to a little bit out of like the initial fog, like maybe like week two, week, like around week two. Um, But you know, just understanding the paperwork and the, you know, you can work with the doctor as a team. You can mm-hmm. work with the, to the nurses as a team, discuss the interventions that they're putting to your child. You know, yes, they are the professionals, but like, you know, if you want a second opinion, get one. <laughs> and you're, you're the parent. And yeah. I think that that's really hard, especially like you and I, it was our first child. Yeah, I didn't oh, yeah. know what I could say or do in the NICU. Oh, and yeah. I didn't know, I mean, like Diane said, I wouldn't have known how to change. I The first diaper I changed was in the NICU. So yeah. like, never mind, like, let's talk about feeding tubes and stuff yeah. like, you know, yeah. and catheters and yeah, like there's so many tubes <laughs> and wires and I don't even know how to change a diaper. So mm-hmm. I think to any moms who are listening that may find yourself in the NICU or are in the NICU, I think it's important to remember that you're mom, but also to make your team actually be your team. Like talk to them, express what you're going through and how you're feeling and let them, let them know you want to do more or some people don't, some people want to do less. Like I need, I'm not at a mental place right now for you for, for me to change diapers, I right. need you to do this. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that communication and clarity is, it's a really tough thing because you're in a very stressful situation, mm-hmm. but also, you know, recognizing that yes, you're in the NICU, they have their own systems and processes that they're following. And, you know, you need to fit, make that system work for you make those things work for you and and your child. Um, You know, we almost didn't leave the day that we were supposed to leave (laughs) because of just like different check the box type processes. And um, I was really thankful to, I think it was the nurse practitioner on staff that pushed through for us to be able to come home that day because we literally did check all the boxes. It was just like, 
a little asterisk thing that was that would have been technicality that would have been keeping us there. And the NICU is a wonderful place because it can save our children's lives. Um, you know, in our cases, it has. And um, I know that, and, and Susan and I had talked about it, some parents are not so lucky to walk out of the NICU with their children and, you know, we grieve with them and feel with them um, always. But it is also, you know, just be mindful, be mindful of the processes and, and um, try and get some clarity and, and communicate as much as you can. And I think speaking to a, the broader audience as you were, we never experienced a NICU journey, but I, never realized I had permission to ask the questions to, and not even um, with necessarily, you know, medical doctors, but even therapists or school teachers, you know, you, you may not know what you want for your child or what your child needs at the moment, especially when you're starting this, but don't be afraid to ask the question so you can understand. So then you can know how to build a team. And I felt like that took me a very, very long time um, with school. Cause I was like, sure, that sounds good. I don't know what I'm doing. So I think speaking obviously to NICU medical moms, but just, you know, moms of kids that maybe just need a little support, like you have yeah. the ability and should be asking those questions because mm-hmm. we're all, you know, you're learning this. So mm-hmm. have eight people behind you, not just directing you on what to do, but together going forward with your child. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So when you were in the NICU, you, you took the bad, you focused on your faith and you reached out to your community. How yesterday when we spoke, um, was that yesterday? (laughs) When we spoke before. So many days. All go together. You talked about how your community has been a huge part of your story. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, so, and that's, so when our NICU journey started, so like I had mentioned, and, and it definitely flip-flopped, you know, who was the stronger spouse at what, at different points. Um, but in the beginning, when we had a lot of unknowns, um, you know, I used to teach, I used to teach a women's Bible study and I would always tell them surrendering is like, it's the S word, but it's a really important thing to do. And so I got to, I got to practice it, you know, and, and I learned strength in sustained surrender. And, uh, and then I also really leaned into the power of prayer and the power of people and community and instantly when little Benjamin was taken to the other hospital and I was not able to join him yet because I was not discharged until the next day. And thankfully, you know, my doctor and my nurses were amazing and they worked so hard to get me discharged as soon as I could. So I could go and be with him. Um, I was like, all right, well, give me my phone and give me a pump because what can I do right now? I can pump and I can um, ask for people to pray. And that's what I did. And I actually, so because of the nature of my job, I'm very blessed to get to meet a lot of people. What, tell us what you do. 
I am a health management consultant. And you're like, what? What does that mean? So I do, um, I do corporate wellness mm-hmm. for companies and that's been my career. So I get to be like what I would tell the kids who came to take your child to work day. It was like, I was like the, the health coach, like the PE coach for their parents at work. Like that's the easiest way I can describe it. I remind people to take care of themselves, to exercise, eat well, sleep, be mindful, all those things. That's what I do. And so I get to meet a lot of people and I get to impact a lot of lives with that, which is a huge blessing. And then, you know, I found myself in this really raw moment, like life moment that quite frankly, like I did, I didn't care. I didn't care who saw it. I didn't care what your faith background was. I didn't care. I just want you to pray. I just need you to pray for my son. I need you to pray that he makes it and that he breathes and that he does all the things that God created for him to do, whatever that is. And so, you know, I was really touched. Um, The people that I worked with, my friends, our friends, you know, even people that I didn't know, um, our faith community, our, all of the, you know, our family communities, everybody just really, uh, they showed up, they showed up, they showed up and they rallied behind us. And, um, I got so many messages and, you know, and especially, so I know this is going to be airing during September, which is an extremely emotional time for me. I give myself the processing space. I'm also a mental health first aid instructor. So I'm going to tell you medical mamas, Fellow medical mamas, give yourself processing space to work through the emotions and to work through the thoughts. And so I know this month is going to be a high processing month for me. But and I still go through some of the comments that I got. Um, and I use social media to leverage that power um, of prayer. And that was amazing. And uh, I would update people on our NICU journey, and I would write every day, sometimes multiple times a day, of what was happening, how people could be specifically praying for us. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really cathartic for me to write down the processing of some of the points that we were going through. But then at the same time, God put on my heart to like tell the whole story because I wouldn't share everything in our posts on, you know, on our prayer request posts, because there was a lot going on. And so um, that was also kind of like the inspiration for the book, Arrival of the Warrior Prince. And so in hindsight, I know you wouldn't trade the prayers for anything, but in hindsight, when you got back to work and you had been vulnerable with these people that you had been coaching and you had been in Mm -hmm. front of, like, how did you feel? Oh, so scared. So scared. So scared to even walk into the gym (laughs) where I worked out. Mm -hmm. I was so, because you almost feel naked. Because you've been so vulnerable. Yes. Because I, and I, and I'll tell you my prayer conversation in that, like before I walked back into life was like, God, what did you make me do? Like, you see what you did? Like I opened that conversation. I opened that conversation that is constantly happening. And now people really see it. Oh my gosh. Now are they only going to see that hurt? Are they, are they still going to be able to see me? Are they just going to see that 
pain. And in the end, did they, how did people respond? It just, it was, I'm so happy. I leaned in to the vulnerability because if anything, you know, it showed the total picture. It gave Mm -hmm. people an even more authentic and real picture of, okay, well, like this is Georgette. And, you know, I'm, I know we've, we've only met for a brief time. I'm naturally a very like, bubbly person. Like, and that's like literally just all the time. It can be 5 a.m. in the morning. It can be 9 o'clock at night. It could be running on five hours of sleep or eight hours of sleep. It doesn't really matter. I'll probably be bubbly and happy because I have, thankfully, I feel like I have joy for the journey, even when the journey is really dark and even when it's hard um, because I feel like that's part of my job here Mm -hmm. while I'm here just like I feel like Benjamin's grand entrance part of it like God has a purpose in that pain and I you know so I I really um leaned into that too and it was amazing to share that vulnerability and share that and I think um I mean I don't know if anybody had any negative you know, feelings about it because I haven't shared it with me. And quite frankly, they can keep that to themselves then. (laughs) (laughs) And I I think, I think it's important to say whether you're a NICU mom or a mom who had a bomb dropped on you at six years old or a cancer mom, like, I don't think any of us have to be vulnerable. I think it depends on what you're comfortable with. And I think the thing that stuck out to me was that when we spoke before this, you were like, I went back in after opening my heart up to these people. Yeah. And how was I supposed to go back to being a working career person after, oh. after I've begged them for prayers? Yeah. And I think in the end, it sounds to me like it's made your relationship stronger because now you have teams and teams of people rooting for your family. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like amazing. And I mean, I'll be, and I'll be very raw being a working mom outside the home because every mom is a working mom. Let's be real. Like, every yeah. mom is a working mom, but working outside the home. Um, I also dealt with the natural corporate things too. Of And uh, even somebody who I thought was a friend uh, a few months after was like, Oh, you've changed. Like you're, you're different. And I was like, and he wasn't saying it in a positive way. So then I had to quickly button up, put on my corporate hat and navigate through that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so it has not all been sunshine and roses, but um, for the most part it has. Mm -hmm. And I I was really pleasantly surprised. And, you know, and to that, to that response that I did get that it said, oh, you know, you're changed. You're a little bit different. I said, yeah, yes, I am. Like I am. And Our journeys like, change us. It does. And it they can transform us in um, in really special ways. Mm-hmm. I'll just leave it at that. And I think that at least for me, you know, I mentioned I'm a I'm a I'm a very spiritual person, I'm a very spiritual Christian, and I remember shortly after I finished the manuscript, I I think I've only shared this with my husband, so I mean nobody else is listening, it's just us, right? <laughs> but um so I had a dream that I was just like like total just like so beaten down I was on like 
the bottom, just laying on the floor, exhausted, beat up, like laying on the floor, exhausted. And I had like two angels come next to me and pick me up and put on this like white shining blanket and say, okay, it's time to get up and move on now. And actually my maternity pictures with my son, Bane, our second son, I'm wearing a white sequin dress in a field and it's homage to that dream because I was like, okay, I got a new sparkly cape out of this. Mm-hmm. That's, amazing. That's yeah. amazing. It is amazing. It's so, um, it's so I'll send beautiful. You the picture, Susan, you don't have to see it. It's well, so, uh, we'll use I'll it on the it social media. Yeah, but I listened true. to a podcast one time and the message was, you can rest, but you can't quit. Oh, I love that. And that's just what it reminded me of. You know, like we can take our time to rest and then we have to, and not in a condescending or like, just pick yourself up by your bootstraps and keep going. But like, God is always there to hold us when we need to rest, but he'll mm-hmm. always give us the strength to like, okay, it's time to get up and move forward. Yes. That's beautiful. Um, and yes. and going back to um, really getting into the, the faith talk, which is totally okay, but going back to the medical mom life, like it doesn't matter where you are in your journey and you could have rested then, or, you know, you could be 10 years down the road and, it's okay to lean back into the faith. It's okay to be vulnerable with people again. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to say, I'm not okay right now. And I need to rest. And it's a, I mean, they don't call it a journey (laughs) for no reason. Like, Oh my gosh. I feel like, and like, I, like, I feel like we're so young in our place. Like we're so young and it's only getting more complicated. <laughs> I was Heck hoping yeah. it would have gotten easier. Can I tell you that again? Like writing the book too, in a way, it was almost like I wanted this closure for me. I want to close this chapter. I want to move on with my life. I want to move on with my family's life. And nope, yep, nope, nope, we're yep, still in it. And you're in and this then, for the long haul because yeah, and we're in this for the long haul because it's mm-hmm. not, you know, this isn't something that, you know, I don't think that Benjamin is broken. I don't think that he is less. I don't think that he is. I think he is stitched together differently. And that is still very beautiful. It may make things complicated sometimes and different. That different is okay and diversity is great. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to really lean into that too. So, yeah. So, if you had to tell a mom right now who's in the NICU, if you had to give her one or two pieces of advice, what would you tell her? I would tell her to breathe. Don't get comfortable. (laughs) I know you're not comfortable already, but like always keep pushing forward and write things down Mm. because you will for as much as you remember the sound of the beeps and the smells of all the Purell and all the washing of the hands 
and the back and forth of everything, you will, it'll fade. It'll fade. And so process through it, process through your emotions and write things down so that you can look back years from now and see what a warrior you were. So where can people find you? Tell us about writing your book and where we can read about your story. So yeah, it was a a little bit of a divine mandate that I had to write Arrival of the Warrior Prince, which is a book you can find everywhere. Um, And I put updates on our Facebook page um, about it, about where he is now. But, you know, as much as... So I... I opened the conversation to ask for prayer for people when we were in the NICU. And then, but I didn't get to tell the whole story. And during a prayer time of mine, when we had little Ben at home, God really put it on my heart to like, you have to write this book. Like you have to write it out. You have to share this story. And so I did it. And, you know, there are a few things that you just don't question God on. Like, and I just felt that, like, almost that urgency that I felt in the NICU, like, towards the end of, like, every 24 hours counts. Every Mm -hmm. 24 hours counts. And I think that's almost like a gift of the NICU that I took away that I never lost of, like, every 24 hours. And so I was like, okay, I got to get this book out. I got to get this book out before he turns one. And I was actually three months pregnant with Bane when Benjamin turned one years old. And so I actually wrote a little thing for Bane in the book too. But, and that's in the end, but um, yeah, I just, I really, I feel like God had me write it. Yes. The idea of the book is, was to share with our friends and family, like the whole story and the whole picture and to like have it memorialized. But I think, you know, God works in really great ways and I'm not one to put them in a box. So I so really if the book think, can help other people, then yes, then yeah. great. Then like here you go. Then mm-hmm. like it, it was a short twenty eight days, and I actually even our, our my geneticist is so funny because I mentioned how I I like I loved certain nurses and loved certain doctors, and there was one that I really did not like, and I did put it in the book, and she <laughs> like cringed when she read that as a physician herself, and I was like, no, I hope that doctor read it, and I hope she improved her bedside manner after that. <laughs> but uh no but it's it's a it's a book that gives you like the total picture of uh, us it's you know really autobiographical but it goes into the NICU journey and it gives you that unique perspective of um the total picture of what you go through and people can find it on Amazon on your publishing link everywhere yeah yep Sounds and good. It's an ebook and hard copy. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes for you. Yes. I do have to say, I want to also just thank the folks at CrossFit Mayhem and Mayhem Mission too, who actually, after we got our genetic diagnosis, I called for prayer again to this community and they've embraced us and have amplified our prayer request again in this, in with the same intensity that it was in the NICU. And that was amazing because I was literally sitting like on a treadmill 
thinking like I need people to pray again like they did before when my son was in the NICU like but how and then how, I felt like let me ask how yeah. how do you feel like do you feel their prayers like what how oh do you gosh. feel when you know these people are praying for you I feel it. I feel it in my soul. I feel it in my body. I feel, I feel that encouragement. I feel in those silent moments. I know that I, I know that there are words being spoken and prayers being prayed on the courtyards of heaven for our family, for our son. And I, I felt, I feel like as my spirit ascended to those courtyards and banged on the gates of heaven saying, not now, not, this is not going to happen this way. I brought an army with me. I brought a crew. And they have muscles. And they have muscles. (laughs) And, And I said, no, not today. I'm sorry. Not today. Not my child. Not this way. And God, I mean, like I mentioned surrender before you have strength and sustained surrender. Okay. I'm learning that, that humble pill every day. And, you know, I always pray for wisdom and wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord and being humble. And I am a humble mama. So thankful for every single prayer prayed, every opportunity to um, be open because people need to know that they're not alone. And people need to know that community is important and family is important, even if they're not blood. You'll find yourself in this medical mama family sisterhood. <laughs> we're weird, you, but we like people. Yeah, like, exactly. We're cool. We're kind of cool. We're kind of cool. We're a little quirky, but hey. Yeah. yeah. But we're, we're, just, we're scrappy. Yeah. But, you know, we get the job done. And then some. <laughs> it's, it's like it's a family you never wanted to be in, but you're you're in. And it's the best way to get through all of this, all of this. Yep. I love that. Well, Georgette, we wrap up every episode with one question. What gives you hope? What gives me hope? I I love that question. I love when you ask people this. So what gives me hope are the little divine miracles I get to see every day in the everyday there's a miracle in every present of the day so it's a miracle that we're breathing it's a miracle that we get to connect and talk to each other so that gives me hope and my God gives me hope my faith gives me hope but He gives me hope every day in all the miracles I get to see every day in in my faith walk. Well, thank you, Georgette. Thank Thank you. Wasn't she the sweetest? She really was. She was just so positive. And I was really impressed at how peaceful and calm she said she was through the whole thing. I think that speaks volumes about her faith though. Like mm-hmm. I I wish I could surrender that easily. Yes. Not saying that it was easy for her, but she made it look easy and she made me think about how much I need to just give up control 
and be like, this is what it is. And she was just very graceful. And I think a lot of her. I do too. It was really, it was really fun. And it was such an honor being able to listen to her. Well, this is Susan and Lorelai is kicking me in the back right now because we, we may as well just tell people we're recording this a day after the interview and I'm on my couch and Lorelai's kicking me in the back and Sayla is bouncing around behind you. So yes. And this is Diane and I got to go do some, you know, damage control out there. <laughs> Bye guys. Bye. We know you have so many choices on how to spend your time. Thank you so much for choosing to spend it with us. We would be honored to hear your unique, complicated, and hope-filled stories. We would love for you to connect with us and share your story on our website, www.whenautumncomes.com, and you can find us on social media at When Autumn Comes Podcast. Also, check us out at 4AM Mom Club, where we will be sharing our middle-of-the-night shenanigans, Etsy finds, Netflix faves, and other things to get us through. We would love for you to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll continue to hear unique stories, feel a whole lot of comfort and connection, and hopefully share in a few laughs. We are new to the podcasting world, so this show is produced by yours truly. With hope and a whole lot of excitement, Diane and Susan. See you next time.